are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Past Pulpit Podcast. Week one is in the books. Week two is kicking off this evening with an absolutely epic, epic matchup between the Bengals Ooh. and the Browns. The NFL wasted no time in giving us an absolute turd <laughs> of a week of football. But, however, it is capped off by what should be a great game, Patriots-Seahawks, Sunday night at 820, the first of five primetime games the Pats will play this season. I'm here to break everything in the NFL. Week two, down with you with my good buddy, Rich Hill. Rich, let's do this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let's break this all down. Uh, Alec, we were just talking about this. We were going through the schedule for week two of this season, and... uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's early to say this. It's early because we have no idea what these teams are. Some of them maybe we'll look back and say, you know what, uh, a, a matchup between two terrible teams sometimes pays off. Sometimes you get like a, a huge 40 to 36 type game and you're just like, you know what, that was actually kind of fun. But looking at this right now, I can't see it. I, I, I'm looking at this schedule and I say, all right, the games that I would want to watch are Ravens Texans? Yep. I think that might be it. I think that might be it. That's all I got, Alec. No, no, me too. I mean, the Texans are. You don't want to start off 0 2. They're at home, so that's going to be a probably not a must win game for them, but I think it's a, an important game for them. Uh, the Ravens looked way better than the Texans did. Granted, they were playing the Browns during Week One, but that'll be the game I'm paying attention to. But that's until 4:25. So that leaves my 1 o'clock slot wide open. And I guess the only game that really matters for the 1 o'clock slot are Bills versus the Dolphins, which is blech. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that um, the Texans have a good time to bounce back against the Ravens. The Ravens are probably a better team. They could still get the W, and I don't think it means Texans are screwed for the season. But uh, I do believe it's a, a great matchup and maybe a preview of what we're going to see for years to come in Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson. I, what I want to see out of the Texans is just better tackling overall. I think they missed a lot of opportunities to stop a lot of drives against the Chiefs on the last Thursday night and did that little mini-buy work for them. Uh, the Ravens are going to pick up where they left off. If they can score 30 points against the Texans, uh, they are very legit teams. This is a nice little preview of maybe what's going to happen in a month or two from now. Yeah, and I, I don't think if the Texans lose, it's an indication of like their season being over either because if you looked at their schedule at the beginning of the year – absolutely you're going to pencil in losses to both the Chiefs and the Ravens, right? Like it wouldn't be a surprise if they lost to both of them. So those weren't ever going to be projected wins for Houston. So their season will go on as predicted. Uh, I would just like to see a little bit more consistency out of them, uh, a little bit more of, you know, production that looks like it's sustainable and it's going to be hard Lamar Jackson's very very good but outside of that game uh Bill's Dolphins will definitely be on the Patriots radar they will absolutely be rooting for Brian Flores and company down in Miami to to beat the Bills to give the Patriots hopefully uh a lead in the division uh as they have a very very tough matchup with the Seattle Seahawks yeah, that'd be great. Again, the Bills beat the Jets. They looked pretty mediocre in beating the Jets. Josh Allen was typical Josh Allen. But we mentioned on our last podcast, they have weapons on offense. Their defense is going to be solid. They will probably figure it out. And the Dolphins looked 
awful against the Patriots. <laughs> I know Fitzpatrick is slated in to start this game, but Tua is waiting in the wings. It won't be long before he takes up the reins. So maybe Fitzmagic can come up. Maybe he's doing an every other game awesome, terrible quarterbacking in 2020. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, that would be great if the Dolphins could win one and give the Patriots a 2-0 start or at least a 1-1 start because I think Patriots-Seahawks is a very strong, very early test for this team. And I'm very curious to see – they can take any momentum they may have gained, any lessons they may have learned from their week one game against the Dolphins, and apply it on the road in prime time in what would normally be the loudest stadium in the NFL, but it will be crickets in the stands because <laughs> no one's going to be there. And I'm curious to see how that's going to affect the overall dynamic of the game as well. So should be a good test for the Patriots, um, and I'm not quite sure what to expect. What are your initial thoughts on the Pat Seahawks matchup? Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to wonder. I was going to question uh, whether this is kind of the ideal time for a questionable Patriots team to go to Seattle. Like, do, do you think, and in my mind, I, I have some thoughts on this too, do you think the fact that this is still essentially an extended preseason for these teams plays to the benefit of the Patriots, where teams have literally no idea what to expect from the Patriots on the offense? They don't even have preseason games to figure out, like, oh, this might be a tendency they have. They just have a complete blowout against the Miami Dolphins where the Patriots were running out the clock. Did this, is it a, a, how big, if at all, do you think that advantage is for the Patriots that the Seahawks have no idea what's coming at them? I mean, it's definitely not a disadvantage. I definitely agree with that. Uh, I guess the real question is, I think a concern I have is if there's a scenario where the Patriots have some confidence and some momentum built from a week one win where they looked good, they controlled the pace of the game, they controlled the clock and the ball, and they were able to more or less impose their will on the Dolphins to dictate both offensively and defensively how that game went. If they go into Seattle and just get kind of slapped around a bit by the Seahawks, uh, if Russell Wilson just lights them up, if they run the ball well, if Cam Newton can't get the momentum he had and the rushing yards he had and the vision he had in week one and what they thought was a, a nice building block for a good season just gets kind of destroyed. Uh, I don't know if so that's going to happen, but I think it could bode negatively for the Patriots if they are up against a team like the Seahawks, who's probably one of the better teams in the NFC, and they just get, get smacked around. The good news is how many times in the past, Rich, have the Patriots won week one and gotten beaten up week two? It happens almost every year, it seems like. <laughs> kind of like 2-2 two, two and two September is kind of how the Patriots like to function. Um, so I'm not too worried about it one way or the other. What I'm really more hoping to see is a defensive stand against a very good deep ball quarterback and limiting Russell Wilson's mobility and big playability. If they can do that, even if, if it's a loss, I'll be happy with this game. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Let's break down the Seahawks offense against this Patriots defense, because when I look at the Seattle offense, they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, two very good receivers. I think Metcalf is a very good vertical receiver. He's also very, very just big. Uh, so he provides a matchup challenge that way. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the matchups here. And as you said, one of the best things about the Seahawks offense is how Russell Wilson is able to extend plays, break out of the pocket, and that's when teams usually give the Patriots problems on defense is when there's a breakdown because that really stresses how technically sound the Patriots are, how fundamentally sound they are, uh, because once you get into that backyard style, uh, it's a little bit different. And so uh, from a matchup perspective, I would say I'm going to put Stephon Gilmore on DK Metcalf, and I'm going to trust John Jones against Tyler Lockett. 
And that gives Jason McCourty, J.C. Jackson's matchup against other players if they're going to go out there. Uh, and I, I think that the Patriots match up pretty favorably with them. And I, I think that we'll see a little bit more Joe Juan Williams against Greg Olson, who is now on the Seahawks, you know, former Cam Newton safety blanket. I think, though, my X factor for this game is going to be Adrian Phillips, Patriots hmm. safety, uh, who is, in my mind, going to be tasked with making sure that Russell Wilson does not leave the pocket, making sure that Russell Wilson does not generate anything on the ground or extend plays. Uh, I, I think that's what the uh, Chargers did with Phillips when he was uh, on that team in their defense is that he was tasked with kind of containing quarterbacks. And I think if Phillips is able to have, you know, even a repeat performance of how he looked in the opening week, uh, but with increased comfortability, I think that he's going to give the Patriots a real chance to, to slow down the Seahawks offense. I like that a lot, man. Keeping Russell Wilson in the pocket is so important and so hard to do um, because, you know, I just don't think anybody can cover anybody for more than five or six seconds. On the plus side, you're absolutely right. I think the Patriots' secondary is the better matchup against the receivers of the Seahawks. Don't forget Philip Dorsett, former Patriot, in there lighting <laughs> things up. But I do think that the the talent on the Patriots' secondary outweighs the talent on the, the Seahawks' defense. But again, Russell Wilson is just so good at throwing that deep ball. And if he's running around back there and someone gets behind the safety, which is why Devin McCourty is my X factor mm, like uh, for this game. Um, we put a lot of cover one and cover zero against the Dolphins. McCourty was really the only deep safety back there. And I imagine they're going to do something at least a little similar against the Seahawks. Maybe not as much cover one, but if they're playing cover one, he's the only guy in the last line of defense against the deep ball. So he's going to have a lot of lateral field to cover uh, if these plays do break down. But uh, if the Patriots can contain Wilson, if they can limit the running game, I think I for the big game out of Chase Winovich, outside linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, I'm hoping that they can they can maybe make the Seahawks a little more one-dimensional. And if they can do that, I think they have a good shot. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how this Patriots run defense does because, as we talked about on our last podcast, they, they weren't really given an opportunity against the Miami Dolphins just due to the lead they had. The Dolphins had to rely on the pass a lot. That they weren't challenged. I have a hard time seeing this Patriots offense running away from the Seahawks team. Uh, and, and making it so the Seahawks become a pass-only team. I just don't see that happening. Uh, and so because of that, I imagine that the Seahawks' rushing attack will be a part of the picture. And I'm curious to know how Bri- Byron uh, Ka- uh, Brian Cowart performs, uh, as long, along with Lawrence Guy, because uh, he didn't really get much play in opening week either. No, he didn't. And I love the name DJ Dallas, one of their one of the rookie running backs. I don't know how, how good he is, but I think it's a great name for running back, <laughs> DJ Dallas. Um, but, you know, I think Carlos Hyde's a good running back. I think the, that the we saw it with the Patriots against the Dolphins. When you have a, a quarterback who's always a threat to run, they run that RPO offense. You can't really commit to an A gap or a B gap the way you can when you've got like a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees back there because you know the quarterback can always take off and do a bootleg to the outside or whatnot. And when Carlos Hyde gets that second level, he can really take off. He's a big dude. He's six feet, 235 pounds. So when you have a running back who's crashing the gap without you meeting him in the middle, you can just eat clock away that way. And if the Seahawks can get their running game going, open the play action, uh, could be a very long day for the Patriots. Yeah, definitely. I think Chris Carson's the other back that you really need to focus on as well. He's had over 1,300 yards from scrimmage for the Seahawks each of the past two years. Uh, and so, I mean, I think Hyde's always been one of those quarterbacks. I'm just like, why does no team want him? He always yeah. seems to <laughs> he always seems to be consistent for a thousand yards. And so now the Seahawks have two of them. 
so yeah, I mean, uh, they're going to provide a lot of matchup challenges, but I think that this Patriots defense is up to that challenge. Uh, the, the unit that I'm less certain about is this Patriots offense as they come up against a Seahawks team that, uh, is usually pretty good. Uh, this is a unit that has a very good structure. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll really relies on his cover three. They added a great safety in Jamal Adams, who can do literally everything in their secondary. Uh, and they have one of the best, you know, linebacker groups led by Bobby Wagner, uh, as well as KJ Wright. I think this is a very good athletic defense. Alec, what's your thought on matchups here for the Patriots offense? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jamal Adams because I feel like, you know, based on the the talent of the receiving core of the Patriots or the quote-unquote lack thereof, <laughs> I don't think I'm using Jamal Adams as like a, a deep safety. I think I'm putting him on Cam Newton. I'm putting him in like the Pat Chung role. Uh, maybe not close to the line, but I think uh, Cam Newton's going to be Jamal Adams' responsibility. And if that's the case, he's going to have a much harder time get generating yards on the ground than he did against the Miami Dolphins, which means they have to spread the ball out a lot more. Maybe get a lot of quick screens. Maybe this is a big James White day. Um, even mm. though um, the, the the linebackers that you mentioned are very good, they're not great in coverage. That they're good in coverage. Maybe James White as creating a mismatch. Uh, and if the, the the coverage is correct, James White can get a little little extra sneaky yards. Uh, maybe he'll be my X factor today. Um, if if he can if he can get a a good game going. And if James White, it can be like that that. Sometimes he'll he'll run the ball pretty well and he'll throw the ball pretty well and it'll be those packages where he's in the backfield and you don't know if it's a run or a pass. Uh, that could really make make Newton's job a lot easier. But I do think that the the secondary of the Seattle Seahawks uh, definitely outmatches the Patriots receivers right now, especially with Jamal Adams right there. If he's the spy man, the robber man, and uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to attack if I can go as run heavy as I went last Sunday against the Dolphins. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think the way that the Patriots have historically attacked a defense like the Seahawks is by stressing players up the seams or in the slot and then out of the backfield with running backs just to kind of force these linebackers to get into space and kind of, you know, attack the weaknesses of the the, the cover three like structure that they have. And so I think Edelman is going to have a reliably important big day. This would be a game where I'm sure the Patriots really wish that they had Gunnar Olszewski because, you know, having that Amendola-esque number two slot guy is extremely important. Um, but I, I really like what you said about uh, James White having a big role. I, I expect him to be very productive out of the backfield. And part of me thinks that the Patriots are trying to reduce his opportunities in the opening week so he could have some some greater play here against the Seahawks. Um but one of my X factors, if not uh, on offense, is going to be uh, Patriots tight end Ryan Izzo. He mm. had a really interesting catch for the uh, the Patriots in the opening week, where he did a little bit of a smash route. Uh, I haven't watched the All 22 yet, so I haven't really seen the exact decision. But to me, on the initial look, it looked like he was running an out route, and then decided uh, there was just a big wide opening in the middle of the field, and so he stopped cut back into the open field and he and Newton were on the same page. He caught it, made some nice yards there. And that was, that was good. That was something that I don't think we've ever seen out of Ryan Izzo. And another way that the Patriots attack this type of defense is with their tight ends. And I don't think that they're ready to rely on their rookies yet. And so Izzo having, you know, three catches for 50 yards could be a huge boon for this offense. Do you think Rich will see, again, I mentioned in our last podcast, we saw a couple formations, more on the goal line, but on, on down and short, 
where they almost ran like a 41 personnel, like four tight ends out there and a running back. I think they'll go really big again and try and post the ball on the ground or try and spread them out a little bit more. Uh, that's a great question. I, I think that they decided to get heavy by the goal line just because, I mean, they, they used two offensive linemen in the tight end spot, the jumbo package, uh, and then they had two tight ends, and then they had Jakob Johnson, and Cam Newton was technically the back in that role. Uh, I mean, that's just so hard to defend. There's literally yeah. no team that can go hat for hat on that unless they say, all right, well, we're just not going to have any secondary players. <laughs> we're just going to go <laughs> all linebacker and defensive line. And uh, that's not a good match. And I still would choose, you know, 250-pound Cam Newton to at least yeah. get that one yard. So I think that's a package that we'll see a lot by the goal line and in short yardage situations. Um and so I, I don't know if we'll see it beyond that, uh, but I, I do really think that's a great, 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 great option for the Patriots when they need to call upon it. One more question for you, Rich, that I don't think anybody really knows the answer to. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks played on the road against the Falcons uh, last week. This is a Sunday night game at home This was against the Patriots. In a normal year, this would be a deafening, earth-rattling, ground-shaking crowd they're very proud over there in Seattle about how loud they get, how easily they disrupt opposing deep offenses with their false starts and their the 12th man, blah, blah, blah. Those fans are not going to be there on Sunday. Empty stadium. I imagine there has to be some kind of weird mental hang-up for the Seahawks looking up on a primetime Sunday night game seeing nobody in the stands, right? Am I, am I looking at push into that and like that, that mental edge that they might not be there this time? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's definitely value to it because it's one of the best home field advantages in the league. And if you don't have that, then that's definitely another help for the Patriots. Like you said at the beginning, the fact that the teams don't have footage of what Cam Newton is going to do is not a disadvantage. You know, I don't know how much it helps, but it's not a bad thing. I think it's the same situation here where, you know, it's not a bad thing for the Patriots that there's going to be nobody in the stands. And so whether or not like it affects the, the Seahawks mental edge, it'll definitely make it easier for the Patriots to call plays on offense. And as this team is trying to learn and establish its communication, having that clarity is going to be extremely valuable for them. Yeah, no. One thing we I want to talk about, we didn't talk about it in our, uh, our our Wednesday podcast, but one thing that I noticed all around the league, not just in New England, and I kind of touched on it toward the very end, tongue in cheek, but I feel like kickers in the NFL had a pretty rough week in Week One. There seemed to be a lot of doinks, a lot of big misses. I mentioned Doskowski missed basically four kicks, including an extra point. Nick Folk shanked a forty-five or forty-nine yarder pretty badly. Uh, I don't know if this is an issue. Oh, league-wide because of the lack of a preseason and, and meaningful in-game reps and et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like this is a, the situation where a field goal might possibly decide it, and I have zero confidence in, in the Patriots kicking game right now. Am I overreacting, or is this a real cause of concern? Uh, honestly, I think that kicking, ever since they moved back the extra point and changed the kickoff rules, I feel like kicking has just gone a little sideways for a lot of teams, uh, just because there's so many different kicking motions now for teams to focus on, so there's like less consistency. So, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that Falk is going to do as a fine a job as ever. I'm not too concerned that he missed a 45-yarder. Uh, those, I, I think, teams or people and fans have gotten, like, to expect those 45 yarders just because Justin Tucker for the Ravens is just so automatic and Goskowski was just so automatic for the Patriots too. Uh, but in reality, those are like closer to 50, 50 kicks. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I think once you get around 50 yards, that's 
that's very hard. I think it's less than 50% of them go in across around the league. And so seeing uh, folk miss that is not really a big concern for me so much as like, a, oh, okay, the Patriots just don't have an all-time great at this position anymore. Well, he is the guy. He got practice squatted and then unpracticed squatted. So it looks like they're going to be going with him on Sunday night against the Seahawks. Uh, Rich, unless you want to break something else down, I'm let's get to predictions. Yeah, let's go into it. All right, let's see. So I had the Patriots beating the Dolphins 21 to 14. You had 2017. I guess I get the edge on that one because I called the Patriots score correctly. So <laughs> I will go first. Patriots are at Seattle Sunday night, 8:20 in an empty Seattle stadium. Um, I think the Patriots lose and lose pretty bad in this one. I think. I think this is going to be kind of like a dud game for them. One of those they're maybe try some new things. It's not going to work. I think Seattle's going to get a couple of big plays. They're going to get up early and just kind of lean on their their lead. Uh, maybe one more big play. I think the Patriots is kind of a big down-to-earth game. Uh, I had the Patriots losing this game back in April when the schedule first came out. Nothing I saw on Sunday, as pleasantly surprised as I was, has me changing that prediction. And I think it's kind of a, a little bit of an ugly game for the Patriots. It might be a little bit of a wake-up call. So I'm going to say Seattle takes this one 31-17. 31-17. Okay, wow. All right. Um, I, too, think that the Patriots are going to lose this one, but I think it'll be respectable. I think it'll be a close enough game that the Patriots will leave from it being like, you know what? We have a lot of good pieces here that we can move forward with. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I think that the Patriots will be able to match up well against the Seahawks offense, and I think that the Patriots will find a little bit of production on offense late in the game. Uh, and so I, I'm picking the, the Seahawks to win this one 24-20. to 24-20. Close game. All right. I like it. I'd be great. Uh, even if I, I, I will take a 24-20 loss, the Patriots look good. And maybe the situation where like they're down 24-20 and Cam's got the ball and he can't quite close out the drive, I will take that as a big win for the Patriots 2020. Uh, in years past, that would be a disaster and they'd be done. They'd be you know Belichick would hate his team and they'd hate him. This is a new Patriots era, and I'm excited to be in a scenario, Rich, where if they lose a game like this, we can really look at it in, in terms of the big picture and not think about how much it's going to affect their playoff seeding come December. I'm not even thinking about that in any capacity, and it's cool to be able to look at a game in a lot of ways, one game at a time, and build each week, and hope that they take the lessons they learn from this game, if they do lose, and apply it to next week's game, and get better and better and better, and maybe make a deep playoff run if they get lucky. If not, next year's going to be an awesome one. You know, it's cool. I like it. Totally. I agree with you. I I think one of my most fun Patriots experience in recent years was following that 2016 Patriots team when they had Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, and being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm yeah. really, I'm really invested in seeing these players develop. Having so many young players, I think it'll be so much fun to see any of these young players, whether it's Nikhil Harry reemerge or seeing Jacoby Myers or you know one of the t- the rookie tight ends. Any of them make a play, it's going to be very exciting, and I- I'm here for it. I'm really ready for the Patriots in prime time. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on Week Two of the NFL season? That should do it. Let's get to 2-0. See what happens. Awesome. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See ya. All right. Later, man.